The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Well, let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open with me to the book of Exodus. Uh, Exodus chapter 12 will continue to uh, just plug along as we go through this book together. And um, I say that as if it's drudgery. It's not. It's, it's, to me, it's, it's thrilling every week to see what God is doing. And for weeks now, the entire summer, uh, we were walking through the plagues and what God was doing. And so we're coming to this point that we've been waiting for, for God to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt. Now, we're, um, we're, we're going to look at as much of this text as we can today. This is sort of like, anybody own a smartphone? Uh, probably most people in the room, an iPhone or, or something like that. Uh, I own an iPhone and, uh, and use it all the time. Uh, however, I use it probably to about 4% of its like, capabilities. There's so much on that phone that I don't know what it does. I don't know what it's capable of. Who knows? I mean, it might be able to, to cook dinner for me one night. I have no idea because I just I, I, I don't know what it does. Uh, I use it for these things, and that's what I know. The, the sermon today is a little bit like that. There's a lot here, and, and I have about five points uh, that we can draw from this text today. Uh, there are more than that, but, but five that I've kind of got in my notes. But I also know that there may be uh, an opportunity for us to kind of shut it down and not get to all that's included here. We may not use all of what's on this iPhone today. Okay, so uh, I'll just make you aware of that. And, and I, I'm trying to be faithful to my commitment here to walk through the passage uh, and, and treat it verse by verse. And so we're going to try to do that as much as we can today. But wasn't it good to see our kids? Um, more than, more than to, to see them beautiful and to see them, you know, just in their stages of development and funny little things they do and that sort of thing is great to see them, uh, you know, just fantastic. But more than that, to hear what they're learning and, and the way it's, it's kind of brought to their level as far as when I, when I was growing up as a kid, I don't ever remember somebody explaining don't covet as in. You know, you got a friend that went to Walt Disney World three times last year. You know, I, I don't remember that, but how cool it is that our kids are learning the truths of Scripture and the true things about our God in ways that they can grab a hold of right now. That's cool. Um, and, and I just want to say to you, I was talking with someone before we came in here, uh, and, and the person said to me, I, I'm, I'm just a babe in this. Meaning, I, I'm, I'm just scratching the surface. And aren't we all? I mean, no matter how long you've walked with the Lord, we can know certain things surely about our God. And we can know them confidently, and we've, we've grown certainly. But in the, in the infinite wisdom of God, we are scratching the surface. And we are babes as we come to know our God today as we look at his word together. So I just want to challenge you. I've titled this sermon, The God of the Exodus, because I think there are some things that we need to see about God. There are some things in Exodus and in scripture that people will wrestle with and not understand about God. And so hopefully you'll be met today by the word of God and the spirit of God would apply the truth to your life. And today you would grow and learn just as we've seen these kids learn uh, today. So let's look at this together. Exodus chapter 12 
and we'll begin in verse 29. The Bible says, At midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon. And all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes and the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of of the land of Egypt. So this night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. Now, there's a lot that is is happening here. It happened in this, this text. There's the actual carrying through of the 10th of the plague and, and, and Pharaoh finally coming to that place where he says, go, just get out. There's the leaving and, and then having to go through what God had told them would happen. I want us to, to look today at, um, at some of the things here about our God and specifically the things God uses to bring about certain things. The first point I'll, I'll offer to you this morning is God used justice to extend mercy. We read this, these first few verses here, first two verses, 29 and 30, where God finally comes and he destroys all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. And there's a great wailing. It's the same word used there for the, the wailing of the Israelites that God heard way back in, in Exodus 4. And now it's the Egyptians' turn. And the Bible here says that there's not a house in Egypt where there was not someone dead. And, and there's, a, there's a world out there that does not know the gospel and says, I could never worship a God like that. They see a God of destruction and they say, I could never worship a God like this, the one who, is, who is, seems so committed to death and, and to killing innocent lives. Well, I want to just point out the hypocrisy right off the bat. I don't do this in a, in a judgmental way, but I just want to show you the hypocrisy here of a culture that says, I could never worship a God enamored with death, yet our culture seems to be enamored with death all around us. 
Especially this time of year, there are so many haunted trails all over the place where people pay money to walk through and have things jump out at you and have you scared to death. You, you go to the Red Box or to, to rent a movie or to go see a movie and you have to select through the lists of movies that are all about horror and death and violence and gore. And there's a culture out there that says, I could never worship a God enamored with death that would do such a thing, yet the hypocrisy is they themselves are in, in a lot of ways enamored with that death. So there's hypocrisy here. But I also would say to you, I also get it. I also get why, if, we, if this were all we knew about God, that all we knew was that he came in at midnight and killed all these Egyptian firstborn, it'd be hard to worship that kind of God. But the reality is, that's not all we know about him. The reality is, we know so much more. The Egyptians deserve to die. Justice, if someone deserves to die, they deserve to die because justice demands it. We don't, in our, in our country, the death penalty still exists, and we, we would never put someone to death casually, but we also know that in certain circumstances, in certain situations, that the death penalty is warranted for extreme acts of cruelty and, and violence and, and murder. And justice here for the Egyptians would demand that they die. They had kept the Israelites for over 400 years as slaves. They had owned them as property. They had tried to commit genocide and the killing of, of all these Israelite baby boys by throwing them into the Nile. Pharaoh first came and instructed the midwives to just kill them in the middle of birthing. And then when the midwives refused, he, he enlisted all of his country and said, just throw them into the Nile. And we see this, and, and nobody would say, well, that's an okay act. That's, there's nothing that bad about that. We hear of that, and we say, that's incredibly wicked. The Egyptians here deserved to die. And God had warned them repeatedly and given them multiple opportunities to repent, and they had repeatedly scoffed at all of those opportunities. And how many times had Moses come before Pharaoh and said, if you refuse to let my people go, this will happen. And nine times before this, this happens over and over and over and over again. And they squander and scoff at every opportunity of God extending mercy to them, allowing them a way out. Now they deserve to die. They've been warned. And in the middle of, in the middle of this gruesome tenth plague, we see God's mercy. God in the middle of this deserved death extends his mercy. See, not all the Egyptians were killed, only the firstborn. All the Egyptians were guilty and all deserved to die, but not all of them were killed. Some were left alive. In fact, a majority were left alive. Not only that, but God provided a way for the Israelites to be saved. See, it wasn't just the Egyptians who deserved to die. It was also the Israelites. The Israelites were, were guilty as well. They had, they had aligned themselves with uh, the gods of Egypt. They had been there 400 and some odd years, and they had turned their back on God, and they deserved to die as well. But yet God extends his mercy by giving them the Passover, allowing them an opportunity to take a lamb and kill the lamb and paint the blood on the door and come into the house and be saved from destruction. God would 
extend his grace and his mercy in the middle of carrying out this justice. And I would say to you, church, as real as I possibly can say, that like the Egyptians, you and I also deserve to die. And you may sit here today, and, 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 and I get it. You may sit here and say, well, I've, I've not done anything that wrong. I've not done anything that would warrant death. I, there's, the death penalty would be, uh, would be injustice on my life. And to which I would say, if, if you're comparing yourself to your brother, your neighbor, your fellow man, then you would be correct. But when you hold your life up against an infinitely holy God... All of us deserve to die. We have sinned against God. We may have never owned slaves or attempted genocide, but we have sinned against our God. And if God is God, then by definition, he sets the rules. And he sets the the consequences for breaking those rules. And yet here we are. We sit here and we have not yet been killed. He's warned us over and over and over again, and even now, through this sermon, is warning you again. Like the Passover lamb given to the Israelites, he has given us his own son to be our Passover lamb. That Jesus didn't remain in heaven, but instead stepped out of heaven, came and lived a perfect life. He was the sinless lamb given to us by God to be sacrificed in our place. This room today, the the Bible here in this passage even points out that when they leave Egypt, that there will be a mixed multitude that will go up with them. That it will not just be those that were born into the nation of Israel, but those who were also Egyptians and others that will leave with them because they've become convinced that the God of the Israelites offers the only hope. And I would say to you today that if you're sitting here saying, I I don't know that I've done anything worthy of death, and you're questioning this whole thing, I would allow you to look around the room at all sorts of former Egyptians that have been led out of that land to trust the God of the Hebrews. I will simply ask you this question if you're here today as an unbeliever and Wondering, I I don't know about this. I don't know that I could ever worship a God like this. I just ask you this question. What will you do? Will you refuse to follow a God who executes justice? Or will you today choose to see and receive his mercy extended in the person and work of Jesus Christ? Secondly, the second point from this passage today is this. God not only uses justice to extend mercy, but God used his great power to deliver his people. God used his great power to deliver his people. And we've been seeing this all along as we've walked through, but we see so many of it as reminder here in this passage today. Verses 31 through 36, we see it over and over again. We see God displaying his power over Pharaoh in his original decree. You remember back in chapter 10, verse 28, Pharaoh said to Moses, get away from me. Don't show your face to me again because in the day you see my face, you will surely die. Yet here in this passage, we see Pharaoh summoning Moses to come back. And Pharaoh, who thinks I'm in charge, I'm in control, I set the rules, don't ever come see me again. You are banished from my presence in a moment of extreme agony 
breaks that and calls back for Moses to come. God displays his power over Pharaoh in his original decree. Also, in his bargaining. I mean, think about through these, the plagues, how Pharaoh has attempted to bargain with Moses about how they could go. And maybe they could go this way or that way. In chapter 8, verse 25, Pharaoh said, okay, go sacrifice to God, but do it within the land. And we talked about that that wasn't God's demand. But Pharaoh tried to bargain with God. In chapter 10, verse 11, Pharaoh said, okay, go. The men among you can go. But the women and children must stay behind. In chapter 10, uh, verse 24, Pharaoh said, only let your flocks and your herds stay behind. And all of this was an attempt by Pharaoh to, to bargain, to reason, to get them to have to return. But now, here in this passage... God displays his power, his sovereign might over Pharaoh in such a way that finally Pharaoh says, enough, all of you be gone. Take your women and your children and your men and your flocks and your herds and go out of the land. Every bargaining point Pharaoh attempted to make, he now relinquishes because God is more powerful than him. God displays his power over Pharaoh's gods. And all along the way, we, we've seen how God set out to destroy the false gods of Egypt. We've talked about some of these gods as God sent these plagues of the frogs and hail and the, the, the death of the livestock and all these things. And we've talked about gods like Ra and Hecate and Hapi and Bucchus and Nevis and Ta and Apis and Isis and Hathor and on and on and on. There were over 80 gods in the land of Egypt. Of their own making. In fact, in Numbers chapter 33, verses 3 and 4, God had set out from the beginning to destroy these gods. Numbers 33 says, On the day after the Passover, the people of Israel went out triumphantly in the sight of all the Egyptians, while the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn, whom the Lord had struck down among them. On their gods, the Lord executed judgments. So God displays his strong power, his great power over Pharaoh's gods. And we see this in the fact that it, when, when Pharaoh here in our passage today says to Moses, okay, leave, get out, take everything, go. And then he adds this little phrase, and bless me also. It's an admission by Pharaoh that I am so utterly defeated that none of my gods, even Pharaoh himself, was, who was supposed to be the descendant, the offspring of God over his people, is here reaching out to the God of the Israelites saying, bless me also. There was no more going down to the river to bathe and worship the God of this or the God of that. In this moment, he's brought to his knees and he turns in an instant. And he's not turning for salvation, but he turns admitting defeat and he says, Bless me also. God displays his power over the unknown future. In verses, chapter, chapter 12, verses 33 through 36, God told them every bit of, of what was going to happen there ahead of time. He told them about they would need to not leaven their bread so that they would be able to take bread with them, unleavened bread, because they would be leaving in such a haste. He told them ahead of time to go to their Egyptian neighbors and ask them for gold and silver jewelry and for clothing. And they must have thought, this is a crazy thought. 
These people that have, that have been taskmasters over us, and slave owners over us for all these years, we're going to go to them and ask them for jewelry. They're going to laugh us out of the room. But you can imagine as they went, these Israelites obeyed Moses, who was the voice of God over them, and they go and they ask, um, you know, I, I, I don't really know how to say this, but I think you probably got some stuff laying around. If, if it's not too much trouble, could, could I have some gold or silver jewelry? And to their amazement, the Egyptians said, yeah, take, take, take whatever you want. What, what, would you like more? And God told them this would happen. In chapter 12, 11, and 12, 17, and chapter 6, verse 1, even all the way back to chapter 3, verses 21 through 22, I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Before it ever takes place, God says, This will happen. And it does. In fact, we can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 15. Before Moses is ever on the scene. And God comes to a man named Abram. Before he becomes Abraham and he says, Know for certain that your offspring, Abram, will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. 600 to 800 years before what we're reading about today actually happened, God told them with amazing detail that it would happen. God displays his power over the unknown future. And then God displays his power over the present reality. In verse 36 of our passage today, the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. They sent them out. They plundered the Egyptians. It wasn't very long before this, in chapter 5, where they were under Pharaoh's reign and rule. And Pharaoh became angry with Moses and withdrew the straw and upped the quota. And they were making bricks while having to go out and get their own straw. And, and, and when Moses comes and he leaves Pharaoh and he comes in contact with these fellow Israelites, they say to him, let the Lord judge between us and them. But you have made us a stench in the nostrils. And you've put a sword in their hand to kill us. And the present reality in that moment for the Israelites were, there's no way out of this. There's, there's not going to be anything that's going to happen that's going to make us be able to, to come out of this land. Let alone plundering the Egyptians. They felt hopeless. They looked at it and said, there's absolutely no way out. And here, just a few chapters later... The Egyptians are handing them jewelry and clothing, whatever they ask. See, our God is God over the unknown future and the present reality. He is God over, over any power that could be out there. He's God over any bargaining of any world ruler. He's God over any other God of anyone's imagining. And this is the point 
That God is stronger than anything we will ever come up against. Now, I don't know what in the world you're wrestling through at this moment today. I don't know if you are wrestling. Maybe, maybe life's great for you right now. But no matter what you come up against or what you ever will come up against, our God is greater. He set out to deliver his people, and that's exactly what he will do. For the believers in this room, your situation is not hopeless. You, you, may, you may feel at a moment like you're never going to get there. Romans 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. I just want to read this to you. We, this is a, one of my favorite portions of Scripture. We've read it here several times, but I just want you to hear it again in light of this God delivering his people using his power. Romans 8, 31 through 39 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice when we read this passage, it, it does not say what can separate us from happiness. Or what can separate us from comfort? Or what can separate us from health? Or what can separate us from pleasure? Rather, the text says, what can separate us from the love of Christ? When we use the language of God delivering his people, sometimes we can, we can in this day and age, in a very self-centered, narcissistic culture, we can begin to define what that means. What, what is he delivering us to? And we can, set the, we can set the destination for God or attempt to. Well, delivering God, if, if God's going to deliver me, it means that he's going to give me that job. If God's going to deliver me, it means that he's going to, he's going to find me a spouse. If God's going to deliver me, he's going to give me this and he's going to give me that. And he, this is what it's going to look like. And in this very me-centered culture, very easy to set these definitions for what deliverance means. But I want you to notice that tribulation, distress, and persecution, and famine, and nakedness, and danger, and sword 
are all left on the menu. See, the destination is not to remove those things from you. The destination may include you going through those things. The destination is not the, the benefits, the, 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 the things that drop from God's hand, but the destination is God. What can separate me from the love of Christ? Can not having the job that I really want separate me from the love of Christ? No. Can living my life in singleness separate me from the love of Christ? No. Can never having children separate me from the love of Christ? No. In all those things, we are kept, held by His sovereign power. Nothing this world can throw at us will separate us from the love of Christ. Not even anything in the world to come or the world beneath or the world unknown. The unknown future or the present reality. Nothing separates us from the deliverance that God gives us in Christ. Third point. This will be the last point I'll cover. I'll leave off the, the other two for today. Third point is this. God used adversity to build a nation. God used adversity to build a nation. We look at this and sometimes we say, why in the world were they left in slavery? If God is their God and God has talked to Abraham 600 to 800 years ahead of this, why are they left in slavery for, six, for, for, for 430 years? We don't understand adversity. We live in a, in a, in a nation, in a culture where we think that, that comfort equals God's blessing. And here we see directly, I don't know why this is, we'll end on this point today, but maybe today we need to hear this, that God uses adversity to build a nation. Notice that, that this nation was rather large at this point. The Bible here says in verse 37 that it was 600,000 men, not counting women and children. This is a substantial nation. There are debates on the numbers here and whether this could, could literally be or not. If it is or if it's not, irregardless, there is a large number of people here. And God has used their time in Egypt to build a nation. In fact, if you go back to the beginning of Exodus in chapter 1, verse 5... The Bible here says, these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. So when they come into Egypt, there's 70. When they go out, 430 years later, we're told here that there are 600,000 men. If you do the math, and if, those, if that is accurate, there's probably 2 million people coming out of the land of Egypt. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 4, it goes all the way back. And God said, I will make you a multitude. He says to Abraham, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. I want you to notice there the, the multitude, but I also want you to notice the, the multi-ethnic nature of this nation. That there in verse 38, that we're told that this is a mixed multitude going out. 
that there are Egyptians who have watched these plagues and by God's grace been shown that there is no hope for them left staying in Egypt. And they see the God of the Israelites and they leave Egypt behind to take out with this nomadic people with no homeland. There's a mixed, multi-ethnic group here. Unbeknownst to the Israelites, many of the Egyptians had been paying attention. They had been watching. They had watched the God of the Israelites do incredible things. They had come to the place where they, as I said, realized that there was no hope for them there. And they became a lot like Ruth. In Ruth chapter 1, Ruth looks at Naomi and said, Your people will be my people. And my God, your God will be my God. And this is the beginning here of God building a nation of Israelites and those outside of Israel coming together, trusting the God of the Israelites. And here's what I would say to you as in just this sort of random point. You say, well, God uses adversity to, to, to build a nation for himself in your life and my life. We're not living some story that is separate and apart from the story that we're reading here. Your life is not some play on some stage where you are the star and God is writing it to, to, so that you will become the hero in the end. Your life and my life are a part of this same story. That God is writing this story where he is redeeming a people to himself. He was doing it in Egypt with the Israelites, using adversity to, to bring a people, a nation out to himself. And in the same way, you and I, as we live our lives here and now in this, this present reality that we know, the only reality we will ever know, he's still redeeming a people to himself. And what this means is that you and I will not always understand why God is allowing things that he allows and why things are happening the way they happen. We don't always know what God is doing and what's going on, but we can be sure of this, that God is still working to redeem people to himself. One day we will gather with people from all nations from every tongue, from every tribe. And the Bible says in, Ch- in Revelation that we will gather with people, a multi-ethnic multitude of people around a throne. And when we get to that throne, there's not any of them that are going to be singing the praises of you. There's not any of them that are going to be stepping back and just enamored with your life and how awesome your life was. The focus will not be on how awful things were for you. The focus in that moment when we gather around the throne of God will be on the awesome, sovereign, redeeming purpose and power of Jesus Christ. Church, I don't know how to end this sermon because there were two more points. But I know this, that just as those children said, God saves sinners, I would say the same thing to you. 
you may look at the God of the Exodus and say, I could never worship a God like that. A God who kills some and spares others, that makes no sense to me. I would simply extend the grace of the gospel to you and say, God saves sinners. Would you turn from your sin and trust the Lord? Call on him today and see his commitment to deliver his people all the way to his glory. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are indeed sovereign. That you display your power to deliver your people. That you use rightful justice to extend mercy. God, that you use adversity in our lives to produce a nation to your glory. God, I don't know who all is in this room and what they're going through and where they are in their walk with you or maybe they're not even in a walk with you. They're, they're, they're not pursuing you at all. God, I, I just pray that you would do your work, Spirit, of drawing people to yourself. That you would rescue people in this room today. There would be people in this room today, God, that that are right now lost and, and, and maybe not even knowing they're lost. But God, rightly condemned. And God, that you might allow them to hear the words of the gospel and God, bring it to life for them. Bring them to life. God, help them to see the beauty of the gospel and trust you today. Lord, today there might be someone here who's just up against it and God sees no way beyond it. Their present reality or their fear and anxiety over the future that's uncertain, Lord, has got them paralyzed. Lord, maybe... Maybe they look around and they see other Christians around them and they think, I'm not like them and I'll never be like them. God, I pray today that you would display your power in their life so that they might see that you are committed to see them all the way out. That they may feel in this moment like they're in Egypt, but they will not always remain in Egypt. Lord, if they are yours, the present reality is not in Egypt. And God, there could be someone here today, Lord, that is going through particular adversity. And God, they've, they've come up against bad news or they just seem to be just dredging along through a long suffering. And God, they've lost side of what you're doing. Lord, I pray, God, that you renew a vision of the gospel and you redeeming people, building a nation to yourself, a nation, not Israel in a, in a geopolitical nation surrounded by boundaries, but God, a nation called the church. And God, you're building a nation to yourself, and Lord, I pray that you'd help them to see that. Help us to see that as a church, God. Give us great sight of that today. 
God, renew commitment among your people. Move among us to yield ourselves to you. You are sovereign and you can do whatever you want. You don't need our permission. You don't need us at all. But God, please move among us that you might grant us the grace to have hearts that would willingly yield ourselves to you and yield our circumstances to you. God, I pray that you'd do it for your glory. Show us that you're enough, that you are more than enough. God, make us smitten with you. I pray it for your great name. Amen. I want to give you an opportunity to respond. However the Lord might be leading you, whether it's to pray or to come to this altar or to go to a prayer room and pray with an individual, whether it's today you need to come talk to me, I'll be down here on the front. You want to know how I trust the Lord? I'd love to talk with you. To present yourself, to join the church, whatever the case may be, respond. Allow the Word of God through the Spirit of God to accomplish His will. Let's respond as we worship to Him. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.